Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. Just recovering from Thanksgiving. Gonna have to do a few extra sit-ups this week because I definitely ate a lot of food. No, totally understandable. Um, I ate a lot of food, too. Uh, a lot with you. You know, We had a lot of meals together, but Actually, I think I need to decompress from football a little bit. I tried to sit in and watch some games yesterday, and I was just like, "I, this is too much for me. I watched a lot of football over the week, and I loved it, but I think I just watched one game too many. And unfortunately, there's a really good game uh, to end the NFL week last night. But uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in kind of like a football coma, more so than a food coma. Yeah, it was uh, yesterday's NFL slate was pretty weak until that Pittsburgh-Seattle game and then the Denver-New England game. Those two definitely delivered. I'm glad those were on uh, national television for everyone to see. Yeah, I mean, those were definitely fun to watch. I was trying to force myself to watch that Pittsburgh-Seattle game, and I I just had to kind of do something else for a little bit. But we will talk about uh, those games in a little bit. Finally, though, we the college football playoff landscape is is get settling into shape. I, I'd say that there are some spots that are now guaranteed to either one team or some a conference championship. Uh, so, Chris, what were your thoughts of the rivalry week? And were, were there any big games that you want to talk about? And what are the implications for the playoff? Rivalry week, and I just messed it up there. <laughs> Stunk. It was terrible. Unless, of course, you were one of the rivals who scored a major beatdown, because that was what it was all weekend. Other than TCU, Baylor, and double overtime, which didn't have the playoff implications people thought it would. A little more for Baylor, but TCU spoiled it. And then Notre Dame, Stanford. Those were the only two games that really lived up to the hype, but Stanford Notre Dame isn't like a huge rivalry. So, for the most part, Rivalry Week did not deliver. I thought it would. I was shocked that Ohio State drummed Michigan. I really thought Michigan would give them a game, but hey, go Buckeyes. Um, But yeah, Rivalry Week was a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, I think you named the two that were actually fun to watch. Uh, You know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, that beatdown surprised me a lot. Uh, Michigan State dropping 55 on Penn State that also was a was a bit surprising I thought these these would be closer matchups but um hey there are some teams that are in full gear particularly it seems that Michigan State and Oklahoma are ascendant teams destined for their playoff spots um so let's get into who are your four playoff teams right now Okay, well, let's just start with the easy one. The winner between Iowa and Michigan State is ironclad, 100% in the playoffs. We'll just start with the easy stuff, and then we'll get to the crazy, the potentially crazy stuff. But no matter who wins or loses that game, they will be one of the four teams. I cannot see the committee not taking the Big Ten champion because we can debate maybe this a late, little bit later, and I would like a rematch because I think the Big Ten was the toughest conference in America this year. I, you know, it has a, a lot of team ranked teams. I believe six right now, three in the top six of the most recent poll. 
Michigan at 19. Northwestern had a strong year. Wisconsin was in and out. Penn State resurgent. Wisconsin's number 25, actually. So, yes, three six ranked teams. Very strong conference this year. Bit of a resurgence. Even if you're not going to say they're the best definitively, they certainly were one of the two best. And I think that the Big Ten champion, be it an undefeated Iowa or a one-loss Michigan State, has done enough to earn a spot in the tournament. I know Michigan State lost to Nebraska, but it beat Ohio State and Michigan. If it beats Iowa, it will beat the three other best teams in the conference and will be a conference champion. No way that that winner is denied. So there's there's the easy one. I think the other kind of softball is that Oklahoma, with its season complete, and its one blemish was to Texas, but it rolled through that Big 12 and beat all the good teams in it. Baylor, Oklahoma State convincingly, and TCU. Big 12, a very strong conference, very solid conference. And I think them being a conference champion, winning it with an 11-1 record, has solidified a spot. So those are the two easy ones. We'll get to some of the complex stuff later, but but do you disagree with any of that? No, I, I think those are the gear. I think Oklahoma is a for sure the the first definitive team that's going to make the college football playoff. I think we can write them in the the way they they played the last few weeks against those big games against TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Combine that with a out of conference win against Tennessee earlier in the year, which is uh, more than any other Big Twelve team can really hold onto save for TCU who played Minnesota earlier in the year but uh Oklahoma Big 12 championship in their belts with a good out of conference win to kind of supplement the criticism of the Big 12 scheduling I think they're for sure in and then I, I totally agree with you the Big 10 championship game with the undefeated Iowa that makes it guaranteed that whoever wins that game is going to come out on top um I think the Big 10 in terms of college football playoff uh, foresight has made their divisions expertly crafted to all but guarantee that the Big Ten championship game is always going to have a play-in game. You have those big powers in the West, or um, excuse me, in the East with Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Those are three really good football teams, and you kind of wonder why they're in the same division. And then you have the guys in the West who are – you know, they can kind of beat each other up and emerge a worthy opponent, kind of build up a worthy opponent for whoever emerges from that East Division gauntlet. So I think uh, it, it's all kind of how it's presented in terms of what's the best conference, who with all the ranked teams and that, when they play each other in the season and all that. I think the Big Ten has had a really good year, and I think the way that they've structured their teams and their divisions has lended to them all but guaranteeing a spotlight in the in the college football playoff year in and year out. I mean, I guess that's a point, but here's the thing. I mean, divisions are cyclical. Nebraska is a blue-blooded program that's down. Wisconsin's traditionally been strong. I think those were the two teams expected to carry the West, and they were down this year. Northwestern scored a very big win over Stanford, which is something I'm betting we'll get to later on, especially with Stanford still in the mix. Um, So some of these teams surprised. Iowa, I don't think anyone had them undefeated. Even though they played a very weak schedule, they didn't play any of the good teams in the East, I don't think anyone thought they'd be undefeated. I believe I said in our our preview podcast, I said maybe if a team like Iowa or one of these mid-tier teams can step up and get back to its former glory, because Iowa used to be very strong about five, six years ago, 
kind of went and been in a rut until this year. So the Big Ten West is stronger than it showed this year, which is kind of surprising given that it still has three ranked teams. I just think it was a little down. And don't forget in that East, Penn State's also in there as well. So they kind of were coming back. So yeah, I agree right now. It looks like the East was is a little bit stronger than the West, but I don't think it's an imbalanced thing. I, I, I like that they structured it based on rivalries, not on who's hot at the time. And I like that Ohio State and Michigan are in the same division. Michigan, again, came back. I mean, going into the year, you know, I don't think many people thought Michigan would be this good or Penn State would be this good or Iowa would be this good. So, or Northwestern for that matter. So a lot of teams stepped up in the non-conference and surprised some people. And yeah, I mean, it's a little imbalanced now, but I do think it's a cyclical thing. I like the way they did their divisions based on rivalries, not who's hot at the time. I, I, I think in terms of prestige and just kind of track record, you, you could argue you have four teams in that East division that are better than anything in the West. Wisconsin might be the one that is better than maybe Penn State or Michigan State historically. And and Nebraska has been, ever since coming in the Big Ten, they haven't really been the power that they were 10, 15 years ago in that Big 12. To be fair, though, ever since Nebraska came into the Big Ten, Penn State hasn't been the blue blood power it's been, and neither has Michigan. I mean, if you're going to if you're gonna go back and, and talk about the blue blood powers, you got to give Nebraska Look, I don't want to debate with you the Big Ten division structure because we, we've got the playoffs to focus on. I just think that they did it based on rivalries instead of who's hot at the time. And I think that's a better, longer tune view to take because programs go up and down. It's very cyclical. You look at Nebraska, it used to be strong. Now not. Michigan is maybe getting out of its rut. So, again, it's very cyclical. And let's not forget, Michigan State is not a blue-blooded program. It's a solid program, but they've never been this strong until D'Antonio came. So it's not it's not like Michigan State has always been great. They've been solid, but they 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 haven't always been great. So I think it's a very cyclical thing. But I, I agree that this year the Big Ten champion will be going to the college football playoff, and that's because you've got an undefeated team versus a very strong one-loss team. And at the end of the day, those teams took care of their business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are two teams that are in full control of their destiny going forward, and that's the SEC champion. Or excuse me, that's if Alabama is the SEC champion and beats Florida in that championship game. And if Clemson remains undefeated and wins the ACC and defeats the 11 and one UNC Tar Heels, I think both those teams, obviously they're ranked one and two in most of the college football playoff rankings and most of the associated press rankings and all that. So if they take care of their business, they're for sure in. And I think that's your set field, whoever wins that big 10 game, Oklahoma, and then Alabama and Clemson. Now, if one of those two teams lose in that championship game, a lot of dominoes will start falling. Well, first off, Chris, is that do you agree with that statement? I do. I think that Clemson and Alabama obviously control their own destiny, number one and number two, in both rankings for a couple weeks now, ever since Ohio State stumbled, that is. So, in fact, I think Clemson's been number one ever since the playoff rankings came out. In the polls, they've been number one and number two ever since Ohio State stumbled. But in the playoff rankings, Clemson's been number one since, day, since week one of the playoff rankings. So, Yes, certainly those two teams control their own destiny. Hey, an undefeated team from a Power 5 conference is always going to make this field unless they produce five undefeated teams, which is probably never going to happen. So I think that Clemson is definitely in complete control of its own destiny. Alabama's one loss came to a very solid Ole Miss team, so it's not like it's a dark spot on their resume. Certainly if, if it were to beat Florida with all it's done in that Western division, 
still the tougher of the two SEC divisions, would definitely earn it a playoff spot. And it's Alabama. It helps when you have the pedigree that it has. Not saying that no other team benefits from it, but certainly, um, you know, when, when you when you talk about benefit of the doubt, their one loss is going to be a little more forgiven than other teams. Again, not trying to say they haven't earned anything. If they win the SEC with only one loss, that is certainly worthy of a playoff spot. Yeah, not only did they survive the West, but they had a very tough out-of-division conference against Georgia and Tennessee. Both those teams are bowl eligible. Georgia was ranked in the top 10 when they played. Plus, they started the season with a quality win against Wisconsin, who was ranked at the time and has, I think, re-entered the rankings late in the season. So even with that one loss, their strength of schedule, uh, even if you factor in that the SEC bias of strength of scheduling, I still think they've had the strongest schedule of the college football playoff eligible teams, the, the, the six or seven teams that we're going to talk about. I think Alabama has had the toughest kind of road to this. So, yeah, it's pretty easy to forgive that one loss. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, again, it's that, you know, Clemson's undefeated. Alabama has one loss to a good team. They're both playing for conference titles. They have control of their own destiny, certainly. But I don't think it's a shoe-in that both of them will win their conference title games. I think North Carolina could beat Clemson. I think Florida, they didn't look very <laughs> they didn't look very impressive against Florida State. So that would be a bit longer of a shot, but look, Florida has inched through a lot of games. I don't think it would be unrealistic to see either of these teams win or pull an upset. Don't forget there's an Alabama Florida sort of rivalry there. Those two teams don't like each other. Bob, what do you think would happen? Let's start with one that might be a little more realistic. North Carolina over Clemson. If the Tigers fall, their first loss of the season, they wouldn't be a conference champion. You have North Carolina sitting at eight in both polls. What do you do then? So if just Clemson loses, is that the question? Yeah, if Clemson loses to Carolina and Alabama takes care of business, so the other three teams are set, one spot is opened up. Who do you give it to? Do you give it to Clemson still? Does North Carolina jump in there? Or does Stanford play its way in there as a conference champion against USC? Or do the defending champion Buckeyes maybe get a little bit of a benefit of a doubt being the defending champs? If Stanford wins that Pac-12, I think uh, they should get the invite. I don't think that North Carolina is getting respected enough for them to jump in. Um, and they really haven't... They haven't played the two best teams in the ACC up to this point in Florida State and Clemson. So I'm not really sure what North Carolina is at this point. If they if they come out and blow Clemson out, shut them out maybe, and, and score 40 points against them, I think that is a compelling argument to put a one-loss UNC in the college football playoff. I think that's a really compelling argument. I don't really think that that, is going to happen because Clemson's a really good team. I don't think they're going to get shut out by UNC. But if Stanford is the Pac-12 champion, if they beat USC, despite those two losses, uh, I think just what the way they've been playing the last few weeks, the quality win against Notre Dame to end their season, I think that's more than enough to give them a spot in the college football playoffs should the ACC champion falter or the SEC champion falter. First, I want to address a couple points. North Carolina's schedule, really bad. 
South Carolina is their one loss. That does not look good. Now, it happened the first game of the season, and don't forget, Ohio State last year had a pretty bad loss to Virginia Tech and overcame it with a beatdown win in the Big Ten title game. I think that's what it will take for North Carolina to get in. I agree with you. They're going to have to beat Clemson convincingly. We're talking like 45 to nothing, 55 to 7, something where they just take the number one team in the rankings out back and beat them down. That's what it's going to take to shake that stigma. I cannot disagree more with putting a two-loss Stanford team in the college football playoff. I don't care if they win the Pac-12. They lost to Northwestern head-to-head, and I'm sorry. That non-conference game should factor into these things because if you're going to say the Big Ten's the toughest conference and Northwestern beat the Pac-12 champion, you've got to hold that against them. Ohio State, I know they didn't play Northwestern, but they played in the Big Ten, and one loss to Michigan State I think should be forgiven. I know I'm being a little homer here, but... I think one loss to Michigan State is better than two Stanford losses, especially when one of them came to a team that played in Ohio State's conference. I think that Northwestern loss is huge. I don't think Stanford should get in over a second Big Ten team. I think either Iowa, if Iowa were to lose, or Ohio State, or Michigan State should get a, a mulligan if North Carolina upsets Clemson. Again, I actually wouldn't be too mad if the committee forgave Clemson for losing on the last game of the season and gave him another chance in the playoff because again why should all these other teams get forgiven for a loss because it happened earlier you know what I mean like Clemson went 12 and 0 why should Ohio State's loss be forgiven because because it happened a few weeks earlier well first off Clemson's loss is going to be in the ACC championship game so they're not the ACC champ another team is the champion of their conference same goes with Ohio State I mean Look at the difference in strength of schedule between Stanford and any of those Big Ten teams. It's all, it's a 40-team ranking difference. Stanford has an 18th strongest schedule. Michigan State of Iowa, Ohio State, and Michigan State is the highest ranked at 53. I mean, the Pac-12 is just a more competitive bunch of teams than than what the Big Ten has to offer you're the champion of that of that conference, and you have a quality win against Notre Dame, and your your two losses were to ranked teams. So I ranked teams that I played. don't want to see Bob. I don't want to see two teams that are in the Big Ten when you have other conference champions that took care of their business and won their conference are the best to offer in that conference. I want to see a mixture of of all these teams in the college football playoff. I don't want to see two big 10 teams one team that didn't even get to play in a conference championship when you have six teams that did and they are should be deserving of getting those nods before ohio state or before iowa or whoever loses that big 10 championship actually i disagree with you on stanford i can't disagree more I don't care what their strength of schedule is. They lost two games on that strength of schedule. Ohio State only lost one. Strength of schedule is simply the schedule you played. You still have to win your games, and they did not. They lost to Oregon, who lost to Michigan State, a Big Ten team. You, you would ha- they lost you to would Northwestern. Have me, you would compel me if Ohio State played anybody out of conference, if Iowa had a stronger schedule. The only one I could see really – have, making a compelling argument for is Michigan State because they beat Ohio State, Michigan, and they have the the win against Oregon. But I think 
a two-loss Michigan State against a two-loss Stanford that is the Pac-12 champion, I I would go with Stanford. All right, so so their best wins on their schedule are a four-loss USC team, a four-loss USC team. It's and, a, a two-loss Notre Dame And a two-loss Notre Dame team. Those are their two best wins. A four-loss USC team and a two-loss Notre Dame team, and excuse me, UCLA, who also is four losses. Those are their best wins. There's, I don't care what the strength of schedule metrics are. They did not. Their schedule is not that much better than Ohio State's. They lost twice. It is a lot they, better they than Ohio State. They lost to two. Their overall strength of schedule may be better, but what about their RPI? Because in college basketball, it's not just enough to play a strength, strong schedule. You have to RPI takes into account who you beat and who you lost to. Strength of schedule is just the teams you played. They lost to Northwestern, a Big Ten team. They lost to Oregon, who lost to Michigan State, a Big Ten team. Stanford is not, should not be eligible for the playoff. They lost to two Big Ten teams. Ohio State played in the Big Ten, came out with one loss. Toughest conference in America. I'm sorry. Stanford is not worthy of a playoff spot. You cannot so lose. Are you two are you talking games. RPI uh in football? Is that FPI? I have no idea. I don't even know if it exists. Well, I've only ever seen strength of schedule. By all accounts, Stanford is a better, better has played a harder schedule than Ohio State. There, but you look at the schedule. Who have they beaten? They've lost to two. They lost to Oregon and Northwestern, and their best wins are against two four-loss teams and a Notre Dame team. All right, who is Ohio State's second best win? It doesn't matter. They've only lost one game. No name. Tell me who their second it best. It doesn't matter. Is. They've only lost one game. That's my point. They've took care. You of can't business. even name it. <laughs> they lost. Bob Stanford lost to Northwestern. You refuse to name their second best team because it doesn't matter. You can't they think only of lost it once. Because you don't know once. who their sec who the second best team on their schedule was. They only lost once. That doesn't it doesn't matter to you that Stanford has two losses to teams the Big Ten one directly to a Big Ten team not even the best team in the Big Ten probably the fifth best team in the Big Ten and another that lost to a Big Ten team. It no it it does not bother me at all. So they took care of business. They won no, their they conference didn't. championship. They lost twice. They lost twice, Bob. They lost twice in a weaker conference. The Ohio State's one loss is going to be maybe to the conference champion of the toughest conference that owned the Pac-12 head to head. All right, you're the only person that is saying Big Ten is the toughest conference. That I don't think anybody How many outside of you <laughs> said more, they are. Name the conference that has more ranked teams than the Big Ten right now. How I have not counted up the rankings. I'm not sure which rankings you're using either. Use both of them because okay, I'm sure you. I'm sure you've done the math because you're a Big Ten homer. I'm sure it's the Big Ten. It that, is. They have six ranked that, teams. That's almost half. That their award conference. comes and, the and top goes 25. to. The Pac-12 has had that. The SEC has had that this year, and it's going to come and go for the Big Ten as well next week. No, it's not because Wisconsin doesn't play, and USC does. And if USC loses to Stanford, they're going to drop out. No, they had that earlier in the year maybe, but I'm talking at the finish line when 12 games are played. The Big Ten has six ranked teams. That's almost half of their conference. No other conference comes close. Bob, I'm sorry, man. Stanford has no business being in the playoff with two losses. And not neither when, does Ohio State, buddy. No. Not not when you have Iowa or Ohio State or Michigan State, the loser of the Big Ten title game, and Ohio State, the defending champs, waiting in the wings in a conference that beat up on the Pac-12. Michigan State beat Oregon. Northwestern beat Stanford. A two-loss team should not get in over a one-loss team. It's simple math. 
Clemson, Iowa, or Ohio State well, have more claim to it than Stanford. No, they don't. They're, whoever they are a conference champion by right. They they have a stake at <laughs> no. playing in the college football playoff. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Then by that logic, the American champion should be in over what if North Carolina were to win the ACC or, or someone. I don't know. And by by that logic, the American champion should be the sixth best team in the nation right now. I. I can't. Are, are we having a logical conversation? Because you are only stuck on this Big Ten infatuation. No, I, what I'm saying is, you're saying a conference champion automatically trumps a one-loss team. A two-loss conference champion automatically trumps a one-loss team. Well, by when that, you're playing in the Pac-12, yeah. Okay, but but then why is Houston a one-loss team, a one-loss conference champion, given more respect? If they are a conference Cause, champion, because they are. The playing in the American Conference. Oh, right. And Stanford is playing in the Pac-12 Conference, a weaker conference than the Big Ten. The Big Ten beat up on the Pac-12 head-to-head. No. Northwestern beat Stanford. By what, by what right is the Pac-12 weaker than the Big Ten? I'm telling you, non-conference head-to-head. Northwestern beat Stanford. Michigan State beat Oregon. Their cont- the Big Ten's contenders beat up on the Pac-12's contenders. Michigan beat Oregon State. Look at the head-to-head. The Big Ten is a better conference than the Pac-12. You just said that the Pac- that the Americans not rated over the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 is a stronger conference. The Big Ten is a stronger conference than the Pac-12. You look at the non-conference head-to-head, three of the Big Ten's contenders beat up on Pac-12 teams. That establishes the Big Ten as a better conference. Stanford is a two-loss team. They're not undefeated. They don't have one loss. They've lost to a four-loss USC team and... A Northwestern team. Oh, excuse me. They beat a four-loss. Have you, have you thought of Ohio State's second-best team yet? It doesn't matter. They've only lost no, one game. You, in the no, tough, you haven't. They've you lost still don't know. one game in the toughest conference in America. And I'm I'm arguing for Stop Iowa saying that. State. They aren't the toughest conference in America. Okay, then who is? I think the Pac-12 or the SEC are. How many bowl-eligible teams do they have? Hey, not everyone gets to play Rutgers and Maryland in their schedule, buddy. And not everyone gets to play Vanderbilt and Georgia. Oh, did I just say that? I'm sorry, buddy. I'm just saying. Back on point, though. Or Missouri, your Maddie Mock boy. People don't get to play. Look, bad, bad teams are in every conference. I'm asking a simple question. The Big Ten has more ranked teams than anyone else in the nation. How is that not a measurement of success? Good, Good for them. But they're not better than Stanford. There are three teams in the Big Ten ranked higher than Stanford right now. Stanford lost, uh, and only two, only two are playing for a conference championship. And Stanford and lost, so one is going to be out. Stanford lost then, to Northwestern, the thirteenth ranked team, the fourth best team in the Big Ten. How how are you not taking that into account? On the road, first game of the year. So what? It doesn't matter. That's the yeah. Point. Sure, it does. We we all know how this works. If you lose early in the year, it gets forgiven at the end. Look, man. By your logic, the American. The, the, by your logic, all six conference champions should have the first. No, shot all right. Well, the table. if we're talking about logic, by your logic, Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, and Iowa should be in the college no, football playoff. No, I did playoff. not say that. I never said that. I did not say that. It's at all. Be, it's the best conference, so I didn't that's say that. the game that we should be seeing. I never said that. That's not what I said at all.
I never said that all the four Big Ten teams should be in the conference college football playoff. I said two of them should be if Clemson loses. Yes, I think that they have a legitimate claim. I All I'm saying is the Big Ten, Stanford should not be anywhere near this playoff. A two-loss team should not get in when there are other legitimate one-loss teams that are better fits for this tournament. That's all I'm saying. I never said that Big Ten should have four teams. I never said that Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, and even Notre Dame, not, not Notre Dame not more, more worthy than Stanford, but the point is, or even North Carolina, I would put North Carolina in over Stanford. I, I, Stanford has no business being anywhere near this tournament. To me, they are eliminated. I, I do. If the, if the, if the Stanford Cardinal are placed in this tournament, I'm going to be extremely mad because that tells me then then the committee should just adopt my automatic bids idea that I posted on the on the on our blog a few months ago because that's essentially what you're doing you're already establishing automatic bids for the conference champions which I'd have no problem with if those were the rules those aren't the rules there are not automatic bids it says to give weight to conference champions but it's not the end all be all those are not the rules right now you do not have to honor a conference title and when there is a clear head to head dominance between contenders of two conferences the Big 10 has established itself as a better conference than the Pac-12 Stanford should not be in okay so should we even ask if Alabama loses it's, I think it's going to be the same argument. I, but we, we don't have to worry about that because they're not going to lose to Florida. I don't know about that, man. I mean, you got to play the game still. I think that would be interesting if Alabama lost to Florida. What would happen? I mean, can you see – can you envision a playoff without the SEC champion? Yeah, I think I think this year set it has set itself up for that. I think there are other worthy conference champions uh, – the way Florida has been playing the f- past few weeks, they don't look like a conference champion or they do they look like a top 10 team. I don't think, uh, yeah, I, 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 I can definitely see it because I think at this point we've seen it coming for the past couple of weeks that Alabama is the one hope for the SEC champion to get in the college football playoff. I agree. I don't think that any other SEC team has a claim to it because, I mean, Florida – down there at 15 is the second highest ranked SEC team. And then you have to go down to what? Uh, LSU at 23, at least in the coaches poll. I might be, no, I miss an old miss at 16, excuse me. So four teams ranked in the top 25 for the SEC, and only one of them even within striking distance of the playoff, which is Alabama at number two. So that would be a lot of ground for them to make up. So I don't think Florida would make that climb, but they could certainly knock Alabama out. Because I don't think a two-loss Alabama team would get in. And if Alabama were to lose, I mean, you're right. It's probably going to be a similar situation to when North Carolina lost. But the only difference is, I think if North Carolina beats Clemson, there's a scenario where North Carolina could get in and be that fourth team. I think North Carolina certainly, at 12-1 and ACC champ, just beating the number one team in the nation. And as you mentioned earlier, last impressions are a little bit stronger than first impressions. I could see North Carolina getting that spot, knocking everyone out, uh, except the three teams that have already, or who I would already clinch. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. I think uh, it would only help if UNC wins and, and say Stanford loses, or UNC wins and, and well, if UNC wins and Alabama loses, then I think they're for sure gonna get one of those two spots that would become open. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think the field is set though. I don't really anticipate either Clemson or Alabama dropping it uh, in the conference championship, especially Alabama, just the way Florida's offense has been playing. They can't really throw the ball that 
plays right into Alabama's hands. I don't, I don't really see it happening, but you know, anything could happen. So we will have to wait another week to see the official landscape, but I think it's taking shape right in front of us right now. Certainly. I mean, odds are on in favor of the status quo being just the four teams that are in right now, obviously Iowa and Michigan state a playing game, but I, I do think that, North Carolina has shot against Clemson. Clemson struggled a little bit. I think North Carolina could do it. I agree with you. Florida would be a bit longer of a shot, but hey, man, you got to play the games. I just want to ask one more question, though. You say the Big Ten is not the strongest conference in America, and the SEC and Pac-12 are. I just want to know what metric you're using to to vote them over the Big Ten. What, what have they done... That's more impressive than the Big Ten. I just think there are more quality teams. I'm not really using any kind of metric. Just from the football that I've watched, I think that there are some really – there are lots of high-quality teams in those two conferences, and I just don't think that the top is as good as the top looks in the Big Ten, and I think the bottom is really bad in the Big Ten. I guess we'll find out in bowl season because uh, a lot of those teams will play each other. But I, I just—I I guess I'm just struggling with how a t- conference that's produced six ranked teams against conferences that combined produced eight ranked teams are both better than the Big Ten when you're measuring it by depth of quality teams. I mean, when you have six top 25 teams, that's still pretty good. Now, I'll be the first to admit Maryland and Rutgers are a lot to be desired. Purdue and Indiana – and even Nebraska weren't very good that year. But Penn State was a solid mid-tier team. You could do a lot worse than Penn State in the middle of your conference. You know, I guess Illinois is not that strong either. So you're right. I mean, the bottom of the Big Ten is not great. But it's not like that the Pac-12 is without Washington, or Washington, Colorado, Oregon State, Washington State, the Arizona teams. It's not like the SEC is without, you know, Texas A&M and Vanderbilt and Missouri and some of those teams that just aren't that good I mean every team has about three to five bad teams as well I think that if you're going to measure it top to middle the Big Ten's ranked all those teams are ranked for a reason so I don't know we'll see I mean when they play head-to-head in the bowl games if the Big Ten steps up and has a strong bowl another strong bowl season like it did last year I think it'll put to rest all this you know whatever yeah, I just think this week it's really easy to say that the Big Ten is the best because they have six rankings, but teams fall in and fall out every week. It, it cycles through. I think you're right going looking at the head-to-head, that'll be the best measurement. But I don't know. I, just, I, I think it's very I, – I think, honestly, from what I've watched this year, I think that – all conferences have are, there seems to be more parity between them all and they seem to all be kind of reaching the same kind of they're all they all have peaks and they all seem to be offering really good teams at the top and they have some duds at the bottom i think that you know more so than than other years we we've kind of seen a, a parity across all conferences but maybe that'll change in bowl season and become more apparent that one conference is better than the other. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I'm saying, though, 
with regards to the poll is, I mean, this is the last poll of the year other than a few conference title games. I mean, not much is going to change. All 12 games have been played. We've seen all these teams play out. I mean, this is pretty much is what it is until the bowl games. So, I don't know. I mean, you look at the regular season, I think that the Big Ten had a pretty strong non-conference, got some pretty good wins, and they didn't win every game. I mean, obviously teams lost in the non-conference. Wisconsin lost to Alabama, but, you know, Minnesota lost to TCU. And so it's not like they were perfect, but I do think that the Big Ten stepped up in a way that others haven't. I mean, they got three teams ranked in the top six. They've got six teams ranked in the top 25. And, you know, a couple years ago, I mean, the SEC had a lot of that, and other people were making the argument you were making about them, and it didn't matter because they still had the teams ranked. They took care of their business. And I think that at the end of the day, the Big Ten took care of business. The Big Ten had put together some impressive teams, and I don't think any conference can match what it's done, at least in the regular season. Yeah, I, I, I mean – you know more than I do that conference. I, I just think that it's it for me. It hasn't impressed me where I can definitively say that it's better than the rest. So I I don't know. I have to see. You know, bowl season you get a lot of head to head. So maybe maybe it'll become more apparent then. But I haven't looked up conference to conference every single matchup that has been played out of conference. So I can't really tell you if that's true or not. I, I, from what it seems from what you're saying you're making it sound like it is but i'm sure that sec and pac-12 have have played their fair share out of conference games and the acc as well so i don't know i if we get some numbers in and and actually lay down the numbers and look at it then yeah maybe maybe the conference as a whole is but uh till then we're just kind of debating about quality and i think that there's there's other quality groups of teams out there than the big 10 all right, we'll see what the committee decides if they are faced with that decision, if they have to replace one of the four teams that are currently in the playoff with someone else because one of them lost. I think it's going to be interesting if Clemson loses. I think that would be the most interesting one because you'd have a one-loss Clemson team, you'd have a North Carolina team, and it, that would be the most interesting one. But we got a couple other things to talk about here. The NFL, I don't know if you guys saw it last night. It was a pretty late game. It was a pretty intense game. But the Denver Broncos under Brock Osweiler look like a much different team than they did under Peyton Manning. Brock out Tom Brady, Tom Brady down the stretch there. Won't get into any of the questionable calls because, you know, the officiating is a subjective thing and whatnot. There was a bit of a clock issue as well, but the Patriots overcame it. They kicked the game-tying field goal, had a chance in overtime, didn't convert. Denver converts on a long run by C.J. Anderson, ball game. So Brock leading them down, fourteen in the fourth, down 14 in the fourth quarter. Did you get to watch any of this game? And what are your thoughts on the Broncos now that Brock Osweiler seems to have full control of the team? I didn't watch it live, but I watched it this morning, a uh, condensed version of it. Um, yeah, Osweiler definitely has potential. He clearly can throw it harder and longer than what Peyton can do right now, and I think that is his biggest strength going forward in addition to the fact that he's 6'8", can absorb the hits that Peyton obviously can't, and he's got some mobility at that frame, which is pretty impressive to see. Um, you know, th- There are inconsistencies that come with the game, though. Y- you saw that he... He doesn't put touch on some of the balls closer to him and just kind of like rifles them in there and, and they make for some easy drops. Uh, he 
he doesn't check down a whole a whole lot but he can throw that deep ball really well and they have the outside weapons in Sanders and Thomas to go get those deep balls what I think Osweiler forces the Broncos to do is to stay committed to the run game which is something that they wanted to do with Peyton Manning under the helm but because you had Peyton Manning who a could audible out of any run at any time he was given that latitude plus you have Peyton Manning if you're down if you need a score you're gonna let him throw the ball that's just what you were used to and that's just kind of the hubris that Manning has with Osweiler in there you're gonna stick to that run game through through and through you saw how in the first quarter the Broncos really couldn't run the ball for anything then by the end they they were ripping off big runs and ultimately they they ripped off that large run at the very end so I think Osweiler just kind of fits the mold for this Broncos team, which is predicated on their really good defense, which wants to run the ball as much as they can. And having a young quarterback who does have some skills when needed uh, kind of plays into their game more so than, I can't believe I'm saying it, more so than Peyton Manning. I mean, I think at this point, Brock Osweiler gives the Broncos a better chance to contend than Peyton Manning. And it's no disrespect to Peyton Manning's career. He's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But there's no denying what the Denver Broncos looked like with Peyton Manning at the helm this year and at the end of last season. And there's no denying what the Broncos have looked like with Osweiler at the helm. Now, I agree. It's, it, that's not overreactive on two games. But the kid has come in, and I call him a kid. He's all, probably almost my age. Um, he's come in, and he's played very well. Now, I agree with you. It's allowed Gary Kubiak to be in charge of the offense. And I definitely think that that's helped the Broncos as a whole, but he has a ton of potential to be the next kind of guy. And I don't want to go too far with it because it is only two games, but I'm reminded of a situation that happened in 2001 with Drew Bledsoe getting hurt and giving rise to Tom Brady. Now, I'm not saying the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl, but Brock Osweiler has come in and played extremely well. I think he gives them a better chance to win. And I certainly think that we have a situation where he has played well enough that if Peyton Manning were to come back, the Broncos would be faced with a very, very tough decision. And I honestly don't know if I would give the ball back to Peyton Manning. Yeah, I think you'd have to think about it long and hard and just see kind of where Peyton comes back with in terms of health and how far he can throw that ball. I'm reminded of a, I don't think you have to go back as far as 2001. I'm, a few years ago, Alex Smith was out with a concussion. Harbaugh started Colin Kaepernick and then named him the rest of the season starter and they rode him all the way to a Super Bowl appearance. I think that is a, is just as a comparable situation as well because, you know, we've seen Manning this year, his past few games, he's looked terrible, but it's not like his whole body of work this year has been terrible. He's definitely has the ability to scrape by and to make some of those good reads and throws that we're accustomed to. It's just, do you, do you want to ride that, those highs and lows or do you want to kind of ride the middle consistency that Osweiler's given you in the game? And I think if I were the Broncos, I would have to lead, lean, lean towards starting Brock. Yeah, I, I think that Brock, and you don't want to make too much out of just two games because, and I think that Colin Kaepernick's an example that, should be brought up as well, even though they didn't win the Super Bowl. They chose Kaepernick. He had a great season, looked like he was the answer, and then started to fade the more and more he played. 
So again, the Patriots made a decision and it worked out for them to the extreme to four Super Bowls. The 49ers make a decision and, you know, Colin Kaepernick might not be their quarterback next year. So it's important not to overreact to just two games. And it's important for Peyton Manning fans not to take this as us disrespecting Peyton Manning. You know, I, I agree with you. He, he, I think people overreacted when they were 7-0. and It wasn't as bad as people said. But it wasn't great. You know, it wasn't great Peyton Manning. It was just a very good quarterback. I don't think he was playing at an elite level. And now that he has that injury, that plantar fasciitis, I don't know if we'll ever get that this year, maybe even again. So if he's back, is a 100% Brock Osweiler playing at this level better than uh, Peyton Manning struggling with plantar fasciitis trending down before his injury hit I don't know what the answer is and I think that's going to be a very tough decision for the Denver Broncos if it comes to it yeah I I, I totally agree I think um you know you don't want to find out honestly I think that you would be served better starting Osweiler and knowing that you have Manning in the way in the waiting if you know, Osweiler shows, I know he's not a rookie, but shows some rookie kind of, ha- has some rookie moments. You could you could throw Manning in there, and he has the experience, obviously, to to help you win that game. I don't think you can throw Manning back in and expect him to, to survive at this point. The hits he's taken and dealing with, a, a, you know, that, that tendon in his foot and dealing with shoulder and neck issues through his career, I, I think you just, you put Osweiler in there to absorb some hits, and maybe you have Manning come in as needed and have him as an insurance blanket. I think that's the safest, the safest move of them all, actually. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, again, Osweiler still has to be playing at this level. I mean, if Osweiler starts struggling and comes back to earth, I don't think it's a hard, as hard a decision. He still has to keep this up, and it's only been two games. But certainly could be an interesting situation for the Denver Broncos as the year goes on. Bob, when we last talked, uh, the Golden State Warriors were undefeated. The Philadelphia Sixers were winless a week later. That is still the case. Do you think they'll actually make it to their, what, January 31st showdown and and have the winless versus the undefeated? Or is this the week both teams get off their respective streaks? Well, I know for the Sixers, if it's going to happen, they're hosting the L.A. Lakers tomorrow night. Lakers are 2-14, and 14, so that's a pretty good chance that they could actually pull it through. Uh, the concerning part for me for the Sixers, uh, Julio Okafor has had a fine season so far, 17 points and eight rebounds per game, but he got arrested at a club and he, he was got arrested or pulled over a few nights later. Your best player on the worst team in what looks like league history is acting out and is not, is not leading your team or playing well at all. So they could be in for a really long season and yeah, you're right. They're either heading towards that January 31st date for sure. I think both of them will break their streaks by then, but it would be kind of funny if they're what, like 35 and 0 and 0 and 35 or something ridiculous like that. I don't know what it would be. I'd have to count up all the games and I'm not going to bother because honestly, I don't think that's going to happen, but it is kind of insane that we have an undefeated team and a winless team in the NBA heading into December. So we'll see. We'll see how long they both keep it up. And uh, 
yeah, hopefully the uh, Warriors cool off because we're both Cavs fans. And, you know, it would be nice if the Sixers got a win or two. We've, we're Cleveland fans. We definitely know what suffering feels like. So Yeah, for sure. The, the Warriors are on a seven-game road trip, so maybe this will be uh, the, time, the moment for it. Uh, a lot of games on the East Coast. So, you know, that's usually when you see teams fall. Maybe that will happen now. Speaking of the NBA, a legend is about to call it quits after this year. Kobe Bryant will go down with five championships unless the Lakers can rally around him this year. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Uh, the Lakers are in what you would like to call rebuilding mode. Uh, Bob, what are your thoughts to this news? I mean, certainly one of the best players we'll ever see play and, and probably at least a top 20 player all time. Yeah, for sure. I think you can name throw all the superlatives and accolades accolades for for kobe bryant obviously he's gonna be a first ballot hall of famer uh bridge the gap between michael jordan and lebron james was the best player in the league for a good stretch of the the first part of the 2000s uh a a really strong incredible career and it's kind of sad to see him suffer on these really bad lakers teams for the past few years and you know it's kind of sad to see him play now uh he's been really struggling only 15 points per game uh but he is one of the all-time greats and at least he's going out uh kind of on his terms you know i think if the lakers were really good and if he were uh not suffering through so many injuries he might stick around a year or two more but uh, it's good that he that he that we know that he's going out, so we can kind of appreciate him one last time. Certainly, he's definitely going to get a victory lap and deserves it. I mean, the guy's been to seven NBA Finals; he won five of them, and had a fantastic career. And certainly, he's going to be one of the best players I'll see play, and certainly a top twenty NBA player. Some might have him in the top ten, but that's a very competitive list. I, I would say safely top twenty, maybe top ten, but. It's going. It's sad, you know. We have it's a transition phase because you know Peyton Manning might be on his way out. Tom Brady's not far behind. I know he says he wants to play at least forty-five. I don't think that's going to happen. So some of these stars that we grew up with are starting to call it quits, which is uh, kind of sad because it's an it's an era ended, but just means another one's on the horizon. All right. Anyway, we crammed a lot into this podcast, but unfortunately, our time is winding down. Thank you guys once again for listening. College football playoff is going to uh, maybe get intense, maybe not. Who knows? All it takes is one upset and chaos will ensue. But if everyone takes care of business, it'll be clean just like last year. We'll find out next week on what are you talking about. So please come back and listen. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can get to the link on FenleyRoadSports.com. Follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. Follow us on Instagram, Fenley, R-O-A-D Sports. And please come back for more next week. We will certainly be back talking more football once the dust has settled. But until then, take care. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.